Years and years ago, I spent an entire summer working for a Toyota dealership in Alexandria. My job was to be a porter, which meant that if your car needed work, you would drive it into the bay and I would smile. I would say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I would get in the car. I'd put the little foot pad and keep it nice and clean. I would then drive the car into our parking lot in the back that had twice as many cars as it was, it was supposed to. When the mechanic needed it, I would go get the car. I'd bring it into the bay so they could fix it. When they were done, I would take the car and I'd drive it back out to the parking lot. And when the customer returned, I would get the car yet again and I would drive it. I drove a lot that summer. And I loved getting to drive all of these different cars. I love getting to see what people, the strange things people kept in their cars. Pretty bizarre. <laughs> I loved getting to be in cars and seeing how many miles certain cars had had. I drove a car that summer that had 400,000 miles on it. It was a Toyota Corolla that was older than me. <laughs> One of the things I love the most, I didn't tell this to the 830 crowd, but I'm going to tell you, and you got to keep it secret. <laughs> Sometimes people left their music playing in the car, and you wouldn't believe the kinds of things that people were listening to. I mean, there are these old, nice people who were listening to the hardest rock I've ever heard in my life, with the volume turned all the way up. And there were some really rough and tough looking people who'd get out of the car, and they were listening to praise gospel music. There was one, one day, I will never forget, this has nothing to do with the sermon, so forgive me, this is a good story. There was one day, I saw the sweetest old lady pull up in her car. And I, I helped her out the door, and she had a, a walker, and she went and sat down, and I got in her car, and I drove through the lot, it was a Toyota Prius, and I got into a parking space, and I, I just listened for maybe a second longer than I should have, because I hadn't noticed what she was listening to until I got in the car, until I got in the parking space, and then I couldn't stop listening, because that sweet woman was listening to a romance novel. <laughs> and I mean, the kind of romance novel you'd be ashamed to know even existed. I heard things through those speakers that frightened me. And all I could think about was her sitting in the lobby having a great old time, not even thinking about me listening to the kind of things she was listening to. But beyond all that, the thing I loved most about being a porter that summer was the people I worked with. The porters and I, we would always gather together in the bay, and I was 20 years younger than the next youngest person, and I was the only white one. <laughs> I loved getting to be there every day, because we got to tell each other stories, and I got to learn about their lives. You know, that summer I learned about Carlos and his journey from Mexico to the United States, and how difficult it was for him to get here. I learned about Jamal and his experience of racism that still happened to him every day, even though he thought he lived in this really progressive place. But the person I loved the most was Michael. Michael from Ghana. And it's not Michael Ovek, our Michael here at church. It's a different Michael. <laughs> Michael and I got along, we immediately connected, and he sort of took me under his wing at the very beginning of my time there. And when I would arrive early in the morning, he would call me Mr. Taylor, and he always clapped. As if I should be rewarded for waking up so early. <laughs> but my mom and I, we, we would stand next to each other, we would park cars all day, and I learned so much about his life, such that at the end of the summer, he felt more like a friend than a co-worker. On a one rainy day, we were standing there in the bay, and there was nobody around. I said, Michael, what is, what is your story? What is it like to have lived your entire life in Ghana, to have come all the way here to the United States? He told me that for years, he and his family dreamed about only one thing, 
saving enough money to get him and his family from there here. That for years they watched American movies so that they could learn English, so they could see what our culture was really like, that they read American books so that you could get a sense for what they would experience when they got here. And when they got here, they were disappointed. I said, disappointed? Are you out of your mind? How in the world could you be disappointed with everything we have to offer here? And he said, I was disappointed and my family was disappointed because when we got here, it was dirty. We saw trash in the middle of the street. We were disappointed because when we got here, we saw homeless people. And we saw people just walk past them as if they weren't even there. I was disappointed because I've been here for 10 years and I still feel like a stranger in a strange land. Every movie they had watched, every book they had read led them to believe that this country was pristine, that it was clean, that even the streets might have been paved with gold. They were led to believe that everyone took care of everybody else here, that no one would ever be in need, no one would ever go without a home or without a meal. They believed that in coming here, they would be welcomed with open arms, and after 10 years, they were still strangers in a strange land. And that's the kind of people that Isaiah was writing to. Because this message that Deirdre read for us, it's not just a call from a prophet to a group of people to know more about God. It is meant for a particular people in a particular time in a particular place. It's meant for people who were in captivity. The people of God had grown distant from the Lord. And after countless attempts to bring them back into the fold, they were taken away into captivity in Babylon. For two generations, God's people were in a foreign place, and it was in the midst of their time there in Babylon that Isaiah spoke these words from the Lord. I am the first, and I am the last. There is nothing else like me. If any be so bold as to claim to be the Lord, let them tell you what is to come. Do not fear or be afraid. Have I not told you what was to happen? You are my witnesses. The people who heard that word were a people without hope. They had lost their homes and their nation. They had lost their possessions and their faith. They had lost their traditions and their roots. They had lost their identity and their sense of belonging. The Babylonian Empire was known for its power and its majesty, but it was not what they thought it would be. Like my friend Michael from Ghana arriving in a new place, the Israelites were strangers in a strange land. Babylon was a nation with its own roots, with its own customs, with its own gods, and Israel was sucked up into the greater whole. And every single day, God's people were surrounded by idols clamoring for their worship. But unlike all of the idols in Babylon, unlike the customs and the experiences Isaiah declared that only God is first and last. Only God calls the future into being. And I think that for us, hearing this, it's almost impossible for us to connect with the people who are strangers in a strange land. We are so entrenched in our culture around us that we cannot even fathom what it would look like to be in bondage, to be chained down, to be strangers in a strange land. But I promise you that we are. 
Because we are held in bondage to the next new thing. In just a few months, people will be lining the streets to get the new iPhone. In November, it will be almost impossible to go to Potomac Mills. And the promise of these big deals and these sales, they will force people like you and me to make decisions that we normally wouldn't make. We are controlled by the current political structure that we think determine our lives. Just imagine how much time we waste every single day watching or reading the news that is now only totally focused on what's happening in the political realm, who said what, what's the next vote coming down, or a tweet from the White House. And we are chained to economic plateaus that are inescapable. Here in this country, we laud this thing called the American dream, but the truth is that the majority of us in this room will die in the same economic bracket we were born into. And we think that those things are the most important things in our lives. We think that they have more power over us than anything else. We might not be in a strange country, but I promise you those things have become our Babylon. On any given day, we will spend more time worrying about a new product our politics, or our prosperity far more than anything else. Like the Israelites in Babylon, like Michael from the car dealership, we Christians are supposed to be strangers in a strange land. And here's the frightening part. The more time we spend in a strange land, the less strange it appears. I know a guy who started going to church later in his life, As a child, as a youth, as an adult, church meant nothing to him. But at some point he felt this itch and he started going to church later in life and he loved it. It was unlike anything he had experienced before. And when he came, he started volunteering to be an usher on Sunday mornings. Pretty soon he was a liturgist for worship. And it didn't take long before he was on one of the committees at church, volunteering his time every month. He attended meetings. He showed up for worship. But then one day... He wasn't there. And the more that time passed, the less frequently he came until at some point he stopped coming to church altogether. And I asked to meet with him. I wanted to know what had happened. Was it a sermon that I had offered? Was it a scripture that we had read? Did he have a a strange encounter in the pews on a Sunday morning? What was it that drove him away from the church? What he said was simple and very hard to hear. He said, I love church. Because it was unlike everything else in my life. But at some point, I started feeling the same. I experienced arguments in church meetings. I felt the apathy in the pews on Sunday. And people around me never stopped lamenting the past. I came to church to escape all of that stuff from my life, only to discover that it was here as well. If the church is no better than the culture that surrounds it, if it doesn't embody a different way of being, then it simply isn't the church. If you hear only one thing from me today, let it be that. If the church is no better than the culture around it, if it doesn't offer something different, something new and something life-giving, then it simply isn't the church. We are supposed to be strangers in a strange land. While the world around us strives to change our priorities, the words of Isaiah ring even louder. While the culture around us tells us that we have to make it through this life on our own, Jesus tells us you can't do it on your own. 
While idols are vying for our allegiance, the Lord speaks loud and clear, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. We don't belong to Babylon. We belong to God. And as Isaiah is bold to proclaim, our God comes to us from the future. God is concerned with where we are going. Whereas we and the world around us spend far too much time worrying about the past. The Israelites in captivity, they were stuck in the past just as much as they were stuck in Babylon. Their minds were focused on the old things, the failures of a distant time, memories from long ago. They needed to hear that word from God. Who else can tell you what is to come? Let them try to prophesy the future. I am coming to you from the future. I am the first and I am the last. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am Alpha and Omega. Do not fear or be afraid. You are my witnesses. Remember what I have done for you and you will know that I am the Lord. At the time of Isaiah's declaration, the people were in danger of forgetting who they were and whose they were. They wallowed in their present circumstances so much that they were giving themselves over to the idols in their midst. They needed a holy and a probing word from God. They needed deliverance from their chains. They needed to hope for things they could not see. They needed to believe. They needed to know that God was Emmanuel, that God was with them, even in Babylon. But maybe, just maybe, All of this Babylonian captivity stuff is too much for you today, too much for us. As far as I know, none of us have been uprooted from our homes and dragged and changed to a strange land. Perhaps the talk of idols and nationalism and comparison within politics and God's promise to travel to us from the future is just a little too heavy. Maybe we've got other things to worry about, like bills to pay people to call, children to raise, grandchildren to raise, a marriage to sustain, a future that we're afraid of. Perhaps we are so deeply rooted in this strange land that it no longer seems strange. Maybe our captivity has become our home. Well, then hear these words from Isaiah. We cannot save ourselves. We have been and are being and will be saved by God. There is nothing on this earth or in the entire cosmos like the living God. No amount of materialistic accumulation, no amount of economic growth, no amount of political power will ever bring us satisfaction. Every little thing we think gives meaning to our lives will fall away. But God is forever. God is eternal. God is almighty. God is full of grace. God is the one reaching out to us when we don't have the strength to reach out any longer. God is the one who surrounds us when we feel completely alone. God is the one who delivers us from the chains to Babylon in our midst. As Christians, it is good and right for us to be strangers in a strange land. Because everything outside of these walls are constantly trying to tell us what to think, what to do, who to be. The world tries to tell us who we are and whose we are, but we don't belong to Babylon. We belong to God. 
The world's ways are not our ways. We are more than the stories of the past. We are more than the failures of the present. We are more than our captivity to idols even today because we belong to God. And our God is an awesome God. Our God is the first and the last. Our God is the beginning and the end. Our God is in control. Our God makes a way when there is no way. Our God is king. Our God is Lord. Our God is the solid rock. Our God is concerned with our future. God believes in our future. Our God knows where we're going because God has already been there. So thanks be to God that we don't belong to Babylon. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.